Welcome to the Birdhouse. I'm your host, Riley Bloomer. I am a 22-year-old full-time realtor in Northern Virginia with my team, The Checkmate Group, a part-time horticulture student, artist, activist, and nature lover. This is the podcast about growing up and growing a business. I'll discuss with my friends, teammates, mentors, colleagues, and family about all the weird, fun, and sometimes really tricky parts about balancing life and work as a young person. This podcast will have no limits on discussions, and there will be something here for everyone. My goal is to create a space where questions about life, balance, community, spirituality, and personal growth are welcomed and answered together. I would absolutely love to hear your feedback and ideas at thebirdhouse2023 at gmail.com, or you can contact me on Instagram or TikTok at riley.bloomer. I am so excited for what's to come, so let's get started. Welcome to the Birdhouse. Um, today I am sitting with my broker, Jim Phillips. Um, Jim is the EVP and managing broker at Century 21 Redwood Realty in Fairfax, where I work. Um, additionally to being in the real estate business for almost 45 years, Jim is a certified life that's living in full expression coach, strategist, and author. Thank you so much for being here, Jim. I'm so excited. You left out I'm your friend. Oh, yeah. You are my friend, okay. of course. <laughs> I need young friends. Right. You do. We got to keep you, keep you young. I, I want to mention something about the, the life coaching. Because most people, when they think of life coach, it's not... It is what I do, but then mine's a bit more expanded. Because the word life is the acronym for living in full expression. So the coaching that I do really is helping people find their voice, finding their essence, and being able to live from that that truth Mm -hmm. of who they are. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. So the general theme of our discussion um, and the conversation that we have a lot is um, bringing spirituality into the business and finding your ultimate truth and how to apply that to life and business and find the soul, the soul of your business, like you said, which I really like the phrasing of that. But you know, the, the, the ultimate truth is the same for everybody. And when we say our truth, like my truth versus your truth, it's only what each of us holds is true based on our own personal experiences to that moment in time. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that every moment that you live, you're always moving towards the truth, which is the ultimate truth, which we discover once we're no longer here. Mm-hmm. doesn't mean we don't have experiences of it or find certain aspects of it. But I think to get to the ultimate truth, you have to shed the physical body, you have to shed the density that's here in this earth plane, and we eventually go back to source. Right. And that kind of goes in with the theme of this podcast, which is growing up and growing a business. You know, this is the third discussion that I've had here, and I'm already starting to see a general um, theme within that, which is as as you grow up, you start to really understand that you know the ultimate truth and it it applies to everything as we grow up we go through the different phases one of which is we think our parents are stupid Mm -hmm. then we realize our parents actually have some inkling of what's going on right and then we find ourselves expressing as our parents (laughs) and you find yourselves in those weird moments where it's like oh my god i'm my dad or i'm my mom exactly i was just saying that a second ago to cat i was making some oh i was talking to my plants that's what it yeah. was. 
yeah. and I, would, I, I actually gave one of my plants a kiss and then said, you're such a good plant. And yeah. I said, oh my God, I'm my mother. <laughs> she does shit exactly. like that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's just weird how those things come up. Mm-hmm. But we all learn from each other. Yeah. And people learn from us. Whether we do something what might be deemed right or wrong, it doesn't really matter. We're serving it as, as an example to somebody of some experience. Mm-hmm. And then we gain from that. Okay, so I have a few questions for you. Oh, and before that, Ron Lenz had the great idea of having a chalkboard in the background that stays here. And whenever, yeah, classic Ron, Ron right? Yeah. <laughs> um, whenever we have a idea that isn't quite on theme about the discussion we're having, but something that sparks some ideas I write it down so that when anybody else comes on the podcast they can kind of see these things so right now we just have something that Ron said analysis paralysis which I love and then Sarah said we're all just walking each other home so you know where that's from analysis paralysis no the second one she told me but I forgot Ron Doss Ron Doss yeah he's a spiritual gentleman right. who just recently passed mm-hmm. yeah but that was one of the things he was saying which is really a cool statement it is it's very it's sweet and it makes it makes me feel like I'm part of a community and it is also a good way to think about life in terms of forgiving other people because we're all just trying to help each other out for the most part we're all going through the same stuff in our own way mm-hmm. yeah, so cool. if there's anything that you know you want to throw on there okay. we'll bust out the chalkboard markers it makes a hilarious squeaking noise when we write so the listener <laughs> There goes Riley again. She's back at the board. Right. (laughs) Exactly. They probably get, I I need to mount it somehow, but it's just chilling for now. So. Well, the thing is that if I write something on there, it's going to be below the bicycle seat. So nobody will see it anyway. So we'll hold it up. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a lot of women live here. Okay, so we've got a few of the rapid-fire questions, and like I told you before, these are generic across the board until I get sick of them. Okay. How did your hometown influence the way that you behave today? And I don't know if I know your hometown. I was born in Buffalo, New York. Oh, okay. I was only there until I think I was three. Pretty much always lived on the East Coast. I lived in Rockville, Maryland one year, but pretty much between Northern Virginia and Richmond. But most of my life has been in Northern Virginia. It is the most influential point of my life in yeah. terms of growing up, going through middle school, high school. I went to James Madison University and then came back here. But I, I guess it's influenced me just because of where we are. We're outside the nation's capital. Of course, politics and everything is right here. I think there is a high level of intelligence in the area as well. Obviously, a lot of different people. But it's become way more diverse now than it was before. And I think the influence of all those different cultures has made an impact on me and my life perspective. I'm not going to say that there isn't some prejudice. It just it happens and it frustrates me. I don't like that I have certain thoughts about certain groups of people. But I guess where the difference might be is I don't act on it. Right. I've become aware of the fact, okay, there's something there. What's that about? That's really not the way that I feel. And mm-hmm. it's not, but it's just there. Right. And that would just be part of family lineage. Mm-hmm. And... And of course, growing up. I mean, right. It depends on what you're exposed to in growing up. But the spiritual side, I don't know that it has anything to do with growing up in this area. Although I will say, over the last seven years, do the math. <laughs> the idea of and the importance of the truth has become way more apparent to me. I've always been one who, who always wanted to, to tell the truth, to live from the truth. Mm-hmm. But with the events that started taking place around 2016, especially in the Washington, D.C. area, 
I realized how prevalent lying, blatant lying, misinformation. Yeah. And then, of course, with social media, it just gets out there so much more rapidly. Mm-hmm. And once it's out there, there's no way to pull it back. It's been very sad, I think, to see that people in high-level positions are able to just say what they want, even when they know it's blatant lies. Mm-hmm. And then I think about the kids who are growing up in this area with that kind of influence, what's that gonna tell them? That it's okay, you can lie, you can get whatever you want by lying, it doesn't matter what people say. And I just think that's not what we all would like to have for our children, but yet we're all participating in the in the environment. We are the society. (laughs) That's exactly right, we are the society. Yeah. So do you think because I completely draw my spirituality from where I grew up because I grew up in the mountains. Anybody who has been there or grew up there knows how powerful that mm-hmm. environment is. Did you start to really understand, I guess, where, where you're going in the past seven years? Or was it kind of just <coughs> catapulted? You really want me to tell this story? Yeah. I don't know what story you're talking about, but now I want to hear it. Yeah. Did you read my book? I've read, you <coughs> sent me a few snippets. So I've read probably five chapters out of it. So I'll tell you this story, and I'll probably get emotional with it. Okay. Because I can't explain it, but it's been very much a driving force in my life. Mm -hmm. I was 13 years old. I was sitting in church with my parents, born and raised Christian. And for some reason, my siblings weren't with me. I have an older sister, two younger brothers, just with my parents sitting in between the two of them. And I didn't particularly like church, and it wasn't anything against religion. It's just didn't work for me. Too. I was 13. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be out playing baseball or basketball or something like that. So I was sitting there and I, I remember just looking around and I was looking at the congregation. I was looking at the minister who was up front delivering his sermon. There were some people over on the left-hand side getting ready to pass the offering basket all of that. And while I was sitting there, I was just thinking that, you know, something felt really off for me and I couldn't tell what it was. And it wasn't that it was good or bad. It was just something felt off. And then all of a sudden, up here on the side of my head, this voice said really, really clearly, you're going to be doing this someday. And I remember jerking my head up and I looked over there and of course nobody was there, nothing was there. I looked at my parents, nobody made any kind of emotion where they had heard what I had heard. And then I'm thinking, okay, you're crazy because that didn't just happen. You didn't just hear somebody say, you're going to be doing this one day. Then I started thinking about what does that mean? What am I gonna be doing? I can assure you I'm not going to be standing in front of a church congregation delivering a sermon. That is about as far away from (laughs) what I can imagine myself doing as anything. And so while I was thinking about that, the voice came back again and said, you're going to be doing it differently. So that stuck with me since I was 13. And it didn't come out in terms of other people knowing about it until my book was written eight years ago. But anytime something would, would take place in my life that was somewhat profound, or there was times I'd find myself in a position where somebody would ask me something. I would start answering the question and the answers that I was able to give were way beyond what I should have been able to, to give. Mm-hmm. Again, didn't know where it was coming from, but it was just I would get into the flow of the information and would be able to answer these questions. And then invariably somebody who might be there would say something and it's going to sound like it was in a trance, I wasn't, but it would break the, the flow right. of the information and I wouldn't be able to get back into it the way that I was. But I started to recognize that. And then I, so my thought was, okay, is this that? Is this how I'm going to be doing whatever that is, but doing it differently? But I always found myself in front of groups of people. Now, public speaking was something I was terrified of, like most people. But I always found myself being put in front of people. So I was more or less... I'm not going to say I was forced to do it, but it was just I found myself in those positions and I went ahead and did it. 
And then I became very comfortable with it. Then I became really comfortable and wanting to have the connection I would have with the audience, knowing that what I was saying was somehow benefiting them in some way. Mm -hmm. So you could say that I was that I was like a minister in front of people sharing whatever it is that I have. So then the coaching and the writing and all that just stemmed from it. And it was it's just been a continuation of that. So that's why when I got the word life and then realized it was the acronym for living in full expression, that's all I'm doing. I'm yeah. expressing whatever it is in me that has a desire to be expressed through me. Right. And that's it. And that's what I feel we're all here for. It's about allowing that which desires to be expressed to be expressed because mm -hmm. it's already there. You don't have to figure it out. You just have to get out of the way right. and let it happen. And that's definitely where the connection between life and business and spirituality happens especially as a realtor and I mean I'm starting to notice this now as I'm joining clubs and stuff where yeah. I'm actually having those discussions about the things that I'm really excited to talk about and that's when I start to make business connections and when I connect those it's like oh this is great right that feels right it feels it feels all cohesive and like I'm a functioning person in society. <laughs> An adult. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but one of the things we've talked about is that the business is is truly based on relationships. Mm -hmm. Connecting with people in a way that there's a very authentic connection. You like art, you like plants. I mean you and I you and I connect on that level from the plant world and our conversations, your spirituality in general. Mm -hmm. I don't take it for granted that you're working in, in the company that I work for, but just the fact you're there. And then I have this opportunity to talk to someone who's a lot younger, who shares a lot of the same things that I do, because your generation is going to be the generation to make probably the biggest change, Yeah. because we we've, we've screwed it up. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> you know, you, you, have, you have a Gen Zer in Congress right now. That's cool. I think that's really important. And the politicians, you know, that I quote unquote trust, um, out of politicians have all been younger, younger people. And the ones that are the most aggressive and I don't give a shit how this has happened before because this is how it needs to happen now. We're all right. on the younger side too. But I think what's really interesting in, in looking at politics and people will go to the extremes mm -hmm. and they'll, they'll place blame or they'll, they'll, they'll say that the extremes are the threat. As a society, we never go to the extremes, but the ideas they bring forth create ideas that we can actually adopt that make sense. So you have to have people that are thinking really out there, and and then that gives us a chance to kind of reel it back in a little bit where it makes yeah. sense and where it can actually apply to people. And maybe you look at it as kind of a stair-step thing. Right. You know, you get these crazy ideas, and then you implement what you can, and then you can you continue to build from that. I mean, you know, when you think about when when the airplane was invented, I mean, that was a crazy idea. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing going to the moon. And there's the what's the there's a fine line between. Insanity, insanity and, and genius, genius or something. Yeah. I think they're the same, personally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the like, genius didn't admit it. How sane can a super smart person be? I don't. Yeah, I I'm really proud of my generation, and I feel like, unfortunately, we've been given this burden of having to fix the entire planet, essentially, but also seeing how younger millennials and Gen Z are reacting or I guess responding to all the horrible shit and still deciding to respond to it with joy is so inspirational and beautiful and I'm so proud of the people that I'm growing up with because it's so cool that we're doing this. Right, but it's not, you're not given 
the responsibility, you're given the opportunity. Yeah. And I'll even go further than that. You and all your fellow Gen Zers made the decision to come here at this time to take on the work. Mm-hmm. And we're doing it. And I think that... You are. And I, it's, it's also amazing to see the trust that the older generations have given us. Because as a young person, having the confidence to be able to be like, this is what I believe and why I believe it. Yeah, I might be 20 years old, but I've seen the world for all it is, honestly. I can do this. And having the support from older generations is so important to that, for that confidence and that drive, I think, in a lot of ways. It's also not your first time around. Yeah. I've, I've never heard anybody say it like that before and of course you're going to be the person to to say that to me that we were sent here you know um, we chose to be here mm-hmm. it, it's kind of an interesting thing when you think about it <clears throat> because think about all the things that are happening in the world and every generation is able to handle what the generation during that time frame presents mm-hmm. because they're the most equipped to do it of course yeah. they're growing up in it but at the same time I look at it and any other well-known spiritual speaker, teacher, pretty much all of them will say that that it is a decision to be here. It's a choice. And that actually souls prior to incarnation are clamoring over each other to get here because they want to be a part of it. They see this as being this tremendous opportunity for their evolution as a soul to continue to grow and expand and and all that great stuff. But it's it's an honor to be able to come here and do it. Mm-hmm. And most of us have been here many, many times dealing with the same sort of shit, but in different ways in different generations. And it's just the, the evolution of the whole thing. Now, a lot of evidence would show that the time we're in right now and where we have evolved as a human species has never been achieved before. So it's new territory. Mm-hmm. I have no doubt that it's going to be, the challenge is going to be met or the opportunity is going to be taken advantage of and everything's going to happen in the way that it was intended to happen. I think if we were to think anything other than that, we create very much a self-defeating attitude yeah. and mindset, and then we don't do the things that are necessary. Another, another big part of this, too, is if you look at a volcano, and this is an example that's used all the time, if you look at a volcano, when does it erupt? It's when everything underneath the surface gets to the point where it has to blow. Mm-hmm. And when it doesn't blow, the pressure keeps building and it keeps building and it keeps building, and it could create even worse damage or destruction and everything else. So what we're seeing on the planet right now is everything that we're seeing from all the misinformation to the wars to the people treating each other the way that we do to the famine, I mean everything, it's all coming to the surface so it can be dealt with. And if it doesn't come to the surface, it it lays beneath the surface continuing to build and continuing to build where there's even more pressure and even more pressure and then it explodes even worse. Mm -hmm. So it's a a purging and and a cleansing of the old energy right. you know we can say bad energy but it's not it's just energy but it's it's energy that's time has come and gone and to make room for the new energy which would be you all mm-hmm. the old energy has to go i mean in biology you know there's like a one in a trillion chance that you're that you exist right and it's like an absolute miracle and everybody's like Ugh, i don't really you know eh, whatever but the idea that you're past lives essentially and your soul that has carried through those lives has had to fight to be reborn, essentially, so that you can fulfill the purpose that you have to fulfill right now. Mm-hmm. That's cool shit. I yeah. like that. That's yeah. really awesome. But it's also, and again, depending upon somebody's beliefs, and I'm not mm-hmm. sitting here trying to tell somebody who doesn't believe in reincarnation you have to believe in it. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Whatever it is, it is. 
and if you were before you were, you're not going to change it. Knowing that you were before doesn't change anything either because I, I, I've been told that I've had many lifetimes in, in very interesting historical circumstances, which I'm not going to get into. I questioned why I don't remember it. And I was told, and when I say I was told, I was told, whatever, wherever that comes from. <laughs> I was like, who's telling that, you? I want to go talk to him. Yeah, but, but, no, no, but I was told that if I knew the specifics of it, I would pay too much attention to that time and who I was mm. and who I was with, that I wouldn't pay enough attention to what's going on right now. And I wouldn't allow myself to be who I am intended to be in this lifetime. And I think that makes a lot of sense because most of the decisions we make are based on memory mm. or based on past history. Right. What we need to do, and this is a cool term that I, I heard, whenever you're thinking about the future that you would like to create for yourself, how do you want your life to be? So you visualize it, you get into the energy of it. When we did your business plan, I taught you about that, where mm -hmm. you, you get into the energy of it right now, the emotions, the feelings, everything you're going to feel once you've achieved whatever success or whatever experience you want to have. So when you get into a difficult time, typically we default to what's already happened. And typically what's already happened, we default to something that was negative, which is what prevents us from thinking we can do something. We think, oh my God, I did that before, it didn't work, therefore it's never gonna work again. Yeah. And yet the dynamics were different during that previous time than they are right now. Mm -hmm. The people around you are different. Your understanding is different. Your experiences are different. So when you do this visualization and you get into the emotions of it, the feelings of it, when you find yourself in a difficult position, don't remember your past, remember your future. So that you're always looking towards what you're trying to create instead of defaulting to what's already been. And definitely with that looking, because you, you have to work through what has happened to you before you, can, before you can move on. But being able to look into your past and say, this happened, this affects me in this way, this affects the decisions I make in this way, understanding that so then you can learn to look in the future and not and not latch on to those things like you're saying yeah there's so much about not not heredity but <clears throat> lineage right. and the experiences of your family or anybody's family a family that was uh, that has roots and mine does has roots in the south mm -hmm. during slavery children are brought up I'm talking about white children. The children are brought up thinking that they're superior to African Americans. Mm -hmm. And the treatment was horrendous. I mean, all of that. So can you blame the child for growing up with that kind of an attitude when that was how they were raised? That was, that was all they knew. That was the experience that they had. Well, then, then they have children. And then how is that carried through to the next child? So you have this continuation of these different ways of thinking, different mm -hmm. perspectives on life that are not true, right. but it's just carried forth because of that. So when it gets to the point where somebody, and I'll use myself as an example, because I believe this is true about me, I'm breaking the chain for my family. Mm -hmm. And by that I mean, I think so differently from the members of my family. I mean, to the point where they just kind of look at me Black sheep. <laughs> Where did you come from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but I think it has to do with my acknowledging, my accepting, my realizing that all these different thoughts and beliefs that I, might, that I might have, that it is up to me to break it because if it continues through me, then it continues through me to the next generation. Right. I don't want that. Yeah. 
And there is, there is a burden associated with that because then you are disassociating yourself with your family mm -hmm. and the heritage and everything else that has come through the family. But that's the only way it gets broken is when somebody finally gets to the point just says, enough, this is yeah. ridiculous, I don't believe this. We talk about, and I keep mentioning Kat because she's over there, <laughs> but me and Kat and Alma talk a lot about breaking the cycle. Yeah. Um, whatever cycle that's not benefiting us anymore, but also the cycle of familial trauma, noticing the ways that our, you know, that our parents behave or whoever that we don't want to continue, that we catch in ourselves. And like you were saying earlier, you start to notice the things in your parents as you grow older that's like, oh my God, I'm my mom or I'm right. my dad. And then being able to notice those things and be like, my parent is still struggling with that now. I have to address this right now because I'm not going to spend my entire life figuring this out. Right. I need to figure it out right now. Right. And being able to know that you can do that, figuring it out and letting it go is awesome. And knowing that if I decide to have children or if, you know, Kat or Alma decide to have kids, that's not going to be passed down. I think that's, that's great that we have this strength to be able to do that. And it comes out of the awareness of it. Mm -hmm. You become aware of the fact you have that pattern. Now, Part of the challenge, though, how many times have you heard somebody say, I'm that way because my parents are, and they just let it sit? Mm -hmm. they, they feel like they can't do anything about it because somehow, some way, it's genetics. Then mm -hmm. it's just not true. Mm -hmm. You can break the pattern anytime you get to the point when you say, enough. I don't know that we answered any of the questions you were asking. We just so you answered the, we answered the singular rapid-fire <laughs> question. But I think I'm actually going to, we're going to kind of skip around a little bit. Oh, I am curious about this, and I've already learned a few things. Oh, that all stemmed from you asked me where I where I was it did. influenced from life, we, and it really had nothing to do with it. We answered this one secure yeah. question. What's one thing no one on this podcast knows about you? Well, no one on the podcast knows anything about me. Right, because it's four people so far. Right. The, uh, what just popped into my mind, and it's only because I think of how I present, mm -hmm. and by that I mean my physical appearance, my my sense of confidence, mm -hmm. that I'm actually not very confident, that mm -hmm. I'm actually introverted, and that for me to be able to do what I do now took a lot of work. Hmm. And it was all very intentional, knowing yeah. that if I was going to get up in front of people and talk, I had to be a little bit more outgoing, I had to feel more confident in, in who I am and what I do. And then, of course, the more you do that, the more you become that. And then it's just more comfortable now, so I don't think about it. But I do find myself in situations from time to time where I'm just, I feel like I'm just totally, almost like invisible. Like you just want to yeah. fade out of the out of the picture. And I feel like I've, I I don't think I've ever thought of you as somebody who isn't confident. It might be because you're very tall <laughs> and always very well dressed. But also you're my friend, so I feel like I know you to that point pretty well. But think about this: when somebody is is tall and and has a certain degree of confidence that they exude, the amount of pressure put on that person to perform is so much greater than somebody that doesn't have that kind of appearance or... Yeah. or um, vibe. Yeah, well, yeah, I was going to say energy or vibe or that yeah. sort of thing. Because the assumption is, oh, they're, they're successful or everything is handed to them or they've got it made or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So the expectations are really hard. And I don't think people recognize that or realize that if you're not in the position to be that way. Because mm -hmm. I was talking the other day about, or, or 
to someone about one of the agents who happens to be very tall. She's very attractive. She is very successful. She's painfully shy. Mm. And it's the same thing. When she walks into a room, it's just going to come. Yeah. Yeah. And the assumption is that she knows everybody. Then people would have a tendency to back off from her, mm-hmm. feeling like they're not good enough to talk to her. Right. And yet she's experiencing this lack of self-confidence. There was a, I was watching, it was a TikTok. I got two things from what you just said. The first one, there's a few TikToks that were going around about how guys were talking about who, who they approach in bars. And they all say that they never will approach the most beautiful woman in a bar because they think they don't have a chance and they think that everybody is going after her. And then this woman thinks that she's unattractive and not cute because she never gets approached. Right. Which is heartbreaking. But also with that too, I was listening or reading something about Marilyn Monroe, who is apparently very shy, but, you know, the it girl for generations. Yeah. Her friend was telling a story about how she'd be walking down the street with Marilyn and nobody would notice them and they wouldn't notice her. And then she said to her, Marilyn said to her friend, do you want to see me become her? And she just changed slightly. Turned it on. And yeah. then everybody started looking at her and being like, oh my God, is that Marilyn Monroe? And I was like, the switch is wild. And, I'm try- and I've been trying to kind of tap into that. And the biggest thing for me is putting on my heels because then I'm almost six feet tall. Yeah. Like, you hear me coming, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and being okay with that type of confidence. But I get very, I get treated differently when I'm dressed Maryland. up. Right, exactly. <laughs> and not treated badly, but more people talk to me, more people want to listen to me, which is kind of, I think, unfortunate because I don't think what you wear should should influence. Right, but we, we make assumptions. Exactly. But think about, know that. <laughs> did you have a power suit? Yeah, it's my black turtleneck and my suede coat, of right. course. <laughs> so, so what's the deal with that? Because we can put on mm-hmm. our cape, and all of a sudden you take on the personality of someone who exudes confidence, who is going to approach people, mm-hmm. who's going to be able to answer questions differently, who's going to be able to connect with people on a totally different level than if someone walked in not in their power suit, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But what is it about the clothing? At some point in time... You wore that. You had a great experience. You felt really good about yourself. You don't know who Pete Maravich is. Pete Maravich was, you gotta, you got to watch some of his videos. He's a basketball player. Unbelievable. I mean, but he wore the same pair of socks throughout his college and professional career. Right. And he washed them by hand. He made sure, I mean, they were th- mm. basically thread there. right. But they were his magic socks. They were his lucky socks. And... He would always wear them and it just was and then he became known for them and it was just kind of that thing that made him feel really good about himself and you know we can have a rabbit's foot and it works until it doesn't then when it doesn't you throw it away right yeah. so what happened why is it no longer the right. magic rabbit's foot or, or people who have crystals of certain well, stones it's it's I'm a pocket crystal girl that sounds like meth yeah, but, but you have, <laughs> I carry yeah, crystals yeah, really. around in my pocket but do you have times. one that you say this is my this is my power stone my rings are my power stones I would all right, say alright so what happens though when you have them on and you don't have an experience that you would say is a positive experience you forgot to charge them the night before no I, I think and this is the witchy side of my spirituality but the when I, you know, quote unquote, charge my rings or my crystals or whatever, I don't think, I don't 
really draw as much, much connection with like putting them in the moonlight or anything like that. I will charge them by wearing them and just remembering where they came from. And the biggest one for me is when somebody asks about my rings because a lot of them were my mother's. They all have stories behind them. Yeah. You know, a couple my dad bought me. And that's when I feel like they're recharged and it reminds me who I am and where I came from. And even if something doesn't, something that isn't great happens while I'm wearing my rings because I wear them every single day. So yeah. there's been a lot of bad days. Right. <laughs> um, they've been with me, you know, and having those little objects that are sentimental. And if I lost a ring, it'd be heartbreaking, but I'd be okay, yeah. you know, because somebody else would find it, I'm sure. Having something that's just with you and it's just there. And it's but it's in the awareness of it. So if, you, if you're having a bad experience mm -hmm. or going through a difficult time, you, you haven't paid attention to your rings, but let's just say you're sitting there, your hands on the table, and all of a sudden you see your rings. Mm -hmm. Is that going to, to evoke in you a different feeling? Because now your awareness is on them. Maybe you start to have memories. Maybe you pull the energy from them that is what helps you get yourself up and I would you know, say, feeling a little bit yeah, better. Yeah, it's closer to that. If I'm anxious or whatever, I'll, I'll you know, twiddle my rings or something. And, and many of them are my mother's, who is the person that whenever I have any thoughts about anything that yeah. aren't great or good ones, I call. You know? yeah. So... It rem they remind me, and she's going to listen to this and call me and be like, that's so sweet, you know, but they're kind of a reminder for me to put your hands down, you're okay, you know, and, and then you keep going. And that's been a continuous experience for me recently because I'm really trying to throw myself into a bunch of stuff that isn't comfortable, that once I get there and I experience it, it's the yeah. best thing ever, but, you know, I always wear my rings and then it's a great conversation starter and it makes and it's grounding. Yeah. But with the turtleneck and my suede coat, my suede coat was my mom's. Yeah. But I think that was just the first outfit when I started working as a real estate agent that I felt like I felt professional yeah. in my way, which is very different than most realtors. So that one's kind of my go-to like this is me and I'm yeah. confident like this. I'm still my artsy hippie southern self but also a professional yeah. and I'm really good at my job yeah you know I think that's great yeah it's good to have them yep I just can't I just wear it four times a week which is <laughs> can get a little bland we just don't see the same people <laughs> right exactly <laughs> okay so this is the last rapid fire question so this rapid fire meaning it's it's asked oh, quickly or answered quickly well like I said I was like Try to get them in under 15. We've really hit, we've really done a not a great job with that, but yeah. we've actually answered some of the other questions. This is kind of a big one. How has your definition or the way that you perceive the ultimate truth changed since you were my age? Yeah, because probably when I was your age, I wasn't thinking about it. But I always had a sense that things weren't as they were supposed to be. And I don't know if that translates into, I knew there was a different way, or I knew there was a different, I mean, you could even say different uh, dimensions. I don't know. I can't tell you what, what my thoughts or feelings were, other than I just knew that what was going on could not be our reason for being here. Mm -hmm. And I don't know when I started having these thoughts, but it, it had to do with you see certain groups of people, or you see certain countries, and you see certain events taking place that are horrific mm -hmm. and you can or 
even more closer to home for a lot of people, you have a child who gets really sick and dies at two years old. And I, I look at that and I go, well, how could that be that child's reason for living? I mean, to have two years and that's it. Yeah. Or why is somebody born into different circumstances or, or circumstances that we would think are very challenging or very difficult? I mean, to get, make it more specific about me, why was I born white in the United States in a middle-class family with relative access to pretty much everything that I wanted versus somebody who's born in a third-world country? Mm-hmm. What did I do to deserve that? The answer to me, and this was just, and this, I can tell you this about something else people don't know about me, but the, but the question was why? You know, why, why would that happen? But I also look at the the source of all things, God, spirit, whatever you want to call that entity, I don't believe to be judgmental. But when you think about that, it would be judgment to say, okay, you're going over here and you're going over here for whatever reason, because you did this or because you did that or because whatever, you know, you don't really know. Or you can look at it, and this is the way that I look at it, or you can say that I was born here, other person was born where they are because that was the situation perfectly suited for the life that their soul was supposed to live. It would give them everything, it would give that soul everything it needs to evolve in the way that it's to evolve during this lifetime. That's the only way it makes sense to me. So I think that is part of the ultimate truth, just knowing that everything that we see, everything that we do, everything that we feel is all part of that evolutionary process for the soul that is having the experience. But at the same time, you and I could, you know, the, we hear it all the time about going to a concert. We could go to a concert. You could have the best time of your life, and I could, I could have the worst time of my life. Mm-hmm. Well, why? It's the same concert, the same music's being played, the same energy is around us, the same people are there, all of it's the same, but why could my experience be different than yours? So that's why I think that we're all put into situations that give us that opportunity to realize what it is we're here to experience, but I also think we have free will and we can choose not to do some of the things that we're given the opportunity to do. But I don't think we're given the opportunity to say no until we can no longer say no. And it's not because something bad's going to happen to us. It's just that the desire becomes so great that we get to the point where we can't say, we can't say no any longer. And I can say that about my writing and about my speaking and about other things that I do. I, I suppressed it for a really, really long time because I thought, well, this is all kind of stupid. You know, nobody's going to believe what I believe. Or you believe everybody else believes what you believe because you don't know any better. And then so why? Why do I need to talk if everybody else believes the same thing that I do? Then you come to realize everybody believes what they believe based on their own experiences. So I guess the whole process has just been evolutionary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know there's people that have, have been more involved in what I'm involved in now from a very young age, you as an example. So when you get to be my age, you're going to be much wiser in the ways of, <laughs> of life, of spirituality, of, of the purpose than, than I am at my age, only because you're getting into it right now at a lot younger age. Now, I don't know what all I've experienced during previous lifetimes. It could be that, that I am much, much more advanced as a soul than I give myself credit for it. I don't know. But I think we find out. We find out once we leave here in this lifetime and prepare for the next one. Mm-hmm. But I guess to, to get to your question about, was it more or less how's my view of life changed from the time I was 20 to now? Yeah. It's just all experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's the only thing. Just different experiences, realizing that we do control what happens in our lives. 
that most of what happens in our lives is going to come as a result of a choice we made. There's, there's no question things do happen mm-hmm. that happen where it's, it's really not our, our doing. You know, a, a child that is young and has cancer, they probably haven't done anything yeah. that was going to cause them to have cancer. But then this gets back into the choice of a soul. What if the purpose for that was for the mom and dad to go through the experience of having a child get sick? So they, so their soul could advance through the incredible love I think that people feel. I mean, more than what you would normally feel for your children. The heartache. I mean, all the experiences you go through with something like that, or losing a child at a at an older age. I mean, it doesn't really matter. So you know, we can look at all of those things and say, okay, this is just part of this life that I'm living right now. Part of the experience that I was intended to have. And I think it's more so when you see something happen at a relatively young age. When it happens further into your life, there are random events that happen, but there's always things that happen. Or I th- let me back up. I think everything that happens, there is something to gain from the experience of it, regardless of what it is, good, bad, or indifferent. It doesn't really matter. I think our responsibility is to figure it out. What is it through this experience that I can gain? I'm thinking about because I was a, a child that almost died, and that was me getting multiple traumatic brain injuries all at once as a 12, 13-year-old was honestly a lot less traumatizing for me because I don't remember wrecking, but I also was just in a lot of pain for a while, and then I was back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like. Yeah. But it was much more traumatizing. for It was not something I think of even trauma for me because I don't have leftover fear from it, but my family does, and anytime my mom meets a new you know, a new boyfriend or a new friend or anything, she's like, if Riley ever hits her head, you call an ambulance or I'll kill you. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'm like, mom, you know, stop it. But now I have to do that with people where I'm like, if I hit my head, so sorry, but we are going to the hospital. When looking back over how that has affected my parents, even though my parents aren't, aren't in aren't married anymore the connection that my mom and dad had when that happened to me was closer than I I really remember them ever being and I think they found a new love for each other in a lot of ways whereas a lot of couples when their child dies or goes through something horrible like that they separate because they can't handle it so seeing my parents be able to continue through that in a new way I think was really good for both of them. But also, we were a very, I mean, we are a very liberal family growing up in a, you know, besides RU, Radford was pretty conservative. Yeah. And most of the, the general, you know, public was kind of sporty and, you know, from the South. Yeah. And we were artsy hippies who lived in the woods, essentially. Right. <laughs> um, so I think we especially like me and my mom always felt kind of like oddballs and kind of floated around and I didn't really have a close friend group until late high school when I hit my head and I was pulled out of school and it you know I was out for that whole summer and then when I went back to school it was only part-time for a few months the sense of community that my family felt was so beyond words like we didn't have to cook for like two months because somebody a new family that was like a parent of one of my friends at school or you know would would bring us food every single night I got 
hundreds of letters from my from my um, grade and there's only like 105 kids that I graduated with and I, I still have the huge box in my room of all these letters and a lot of them are I'm starting to get annoyed can you heal so that we could stop writing you letters <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. and I got so many wonderful gifts um, that's probably why it wasn't traumatic for me was because I just yeah. got a lot of yeah. shit out of it yeah. but that sense of community, my mom had never felt before um, because she also moved around a lot as a kid. And what came out of that was a lot of new, strange, different, wonderful friendships that she hadn't experienced before. Um, and I felt a closeness to the, the people that I went to school with that I had never really understood before. Yeah. One of the boys in my class um, actually rode his bike to my house to deliver a note that he wrote outside of school. And we were, we were friends, but we weren't like, we didn't hang out ever. That was just, you know, like so wonderful and so special. And it was all the little things like that. And I feel really thankful for that. And also really sad that a lot of people that go through something horrible like that don't have that community to lean on. I I use that that way of thinking as a way to rationalize what I see as injustices and not just injustice where where it's somebody being mistreated but just in terms of the way you look at life and why somebody would be given what appears to be a greater opportunity than somebody else like your mom and dad and what they went through and then they came together closer from what you just said when you had your 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 brain injury well, what if at that point in time, from a previous lifetime, what if they had unfinished business that gave them the opportunity to finish the business, and then they move away? Now, I don't know what the relationship is now, but I mean, to me, I, I look at things like that because there's got to be something beyond just people getting together and breaking up, and then, you know, that's kind of it. Obviously, they brought you into the world, so that was a part of the relationship too, was bringing you and, and your siblings into right. the world. We can also say that you having your injury, you hitting your head, maybe you brought to those kids the first expression or or feeling of compassion they've ever had. Mm -hmm. That's your generation. So maybe you were a catalyst. I think so in a lot of ways. Being in, you know, because I was essentially a miracle case. They, my doctors didn't know if I was going to live past 24 hours after that happened. And also the fact that I didn't break my neck was also wild. But from the discussions that I had with my friends after that. And actually, my friend Taylor, who is still in my life, and she's my best friend and my soulmate in a lot of ways, I think. We kind of drove each other crazy for the first few years of our friendship. And we were, like the day before I hit my head, we were bickering and we were texting and we were fighting with each other and being very dramatic 12-year-olds. And then I hit my head and I couldn't go on my phone for months. So when I reopened my phone, it was a bunch of nasty texts from Taylor. And I was like, did you really just say that after I hit, you know? And she called me and she was like, I love you so much. Like, I cannot, like, you know, and yeah. that healed. I don't know if we would still be friends anymore if that didn't happen. I hope so. But thinking about me as like a, a miracle child, quote unquote, doesn't feel real because I'm just here and something right. crazy like that didn't happen to me, you know, whatever. Yeah. But I think as, you know, teenagers, early teenagers, being able to look at how quickly things can be taken away from you is a really important view to have on life as you're growing up and as you're going through high school to be thankful for for the people that are in your life. 
Yeah. It's really special. So yes, my outlook has changed. Yeah. <laughs> I've become wiser. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> but see, I like to, although I've had a lot of experiences, mm-hmm. I also just like to think that maybe I'm remembering a lot of things that I've already known mm-hmm. that have now presented themselves to me to allow me to have the experience of it again so that I can apply it to this life. And then, and then share it in whatever way that I can, right. whether it's through writing, speaking, the coaching that I do, or just in how I'm being, where all of us serve as an example for everybody else. Mm-hmm. I've never, I, don't, I mean, maybe I have, and I just haven't been able to identify it, but I've never had like an experience where I felt like I was catching my, a previous life. And I, I, I believe in reincarnation in some ways. I believe in the science of it that all energy is shared and recycled and science is so fucking insane that there has to be something that carries on within that that we don't understand but like my mom says that she was a milkmaid in a previous life because every time she drives by dairy cows she feels like she needs to go in and milk the cows (laughs) and that could be a previous life or just my mom (laughs) but and some strange wish (laughs) right exactly i think she does want to be a little bit of a milkmaid too but I don't know. I mean, how? What are the the signals that you pick up on that are like that was something in a previous life? Do you even know, or is it just? I think it can be deja vu. Yeah. Where you have an experience where you know you've been there before. Mm-hmm. I think where we find ourselves highly skilled, that the likelihood is in a previous lifetime you were doing something similar. Mm-hmm. Like you know, if you have a child that at four years old is playing concertos and all that kind of stuff. Right. The likelihood is yeah. they were doing that somewhere sometime before. Or the kids that and it's a carry through. Talk about like my last mom. Yeah. What? You know? Yeah. Or um and in I talk about this podcast all the time, my favorite murder, because I listen to that all the time. Um, but they have their mini sods where people write in and some of them are about weird things that their child has said where yeah. it's like talking about a plane crash that happened in the nineteen forties. Yeah. Like a four-year-old talking and about that. Detail. Yeah. yeah. What? And there's no explanation, and you can't even deny it at that point. Right. You're just like, okay, <laughs> there it is. Yeah. And I think my little sibling Tommy has said a few things like that. But they're also just a very strange little kid. Yeah. <laughs> still are, but yeah. I don't know. I don't. But I think I, I really do think it's looking at what are you most passionate about mm-hmm. that would have I think some connection to what you might have done in a previous lifetime. Mm-hmm. I've been told by many people, whether you want to call them psychics or just highly intuitive people or whatever, that does that sort of thing, that I've had many lifetimes as a monk, sitting in a monastery, hunched over a candle, scribing. Mm. Or that I have been involved in major battles where mm. lots of fighting was going on, but it was, it was always fighting for a cause that I believed very strongly in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so then you get... You get executed, you get murdered, or whatever, because of that. Right. I don't know. But, I mean, I would love, I don't know if I completely believe in that yet, anyway, but I would love to know what I was doing in the past. Probably something with plants, to be completely honest with you. I think I was a bug on a moss, like a, a water bear. <laughs> you know, what are they, tardigrades? I don't know. They're really cool. So go to a life regression person i know if the only thing that i do know about that is if i have had previous lives i've had a lot of them 
just because of my hobbies and my thought processes. And Ron always calls me an old soul. And also my apartment, probably. (laughs) No, I I would say the same thing, just given who you are and what you're doing and what your interests are. Mm -hmm. I don't think you just showed up. I think you've been here. (laughs) I've been here. I've had a few rounds. This kind of goes into actually the, we were talking about how different my generation is comparison to previous and also um, how much change we're making. I see a lot of included within that um, spiritual awakening happening. And I think a good chunk of it is kind of like new age spirituality that's kind of shitty and weird and just rich people doing yoga. But then there's the other side of it of getting into plants and stuff like that, which is kind of a newer thing. I feel like the obsession with house plants in your early 20s is not as popular or it's way more popular than in previous generations for what it's worth i had a ton of house plants when i was in my did 20s. you yeah. okay well you're also yeah. you're you so i could see that did you feel that way about your generation that you felt like there's a spiritual awakening happening because i know that each generation feels like they're inventing everything over again did you feel that way too or are you thinking that it's more something with- i think more so now there was always the term new age that people were talking about and and yet what i find interesting is that new age is just a recycling of what's already been out there so it's not like it's new age right it's just people who have not been exposed to it now finding it being exposed to it Mm -hmm. i think there's always been that within each generation supposedly now though there's a the largest number of awakening or awakened people on the planet that there's ever been that's why you're seeing the energies change. That's why you're seeing the purging taking place where all the stuff that we're trying to get rid of comes to the surface to be dealt with. Mm-hmm. And it, it, interestingly enough, it doesn't. you don't have to have greater than 50% of the people to make it happen. It's a very small percentage of the population that has those thoughts, those beliefs, that kind of energy yeah. that actually changes the energy for the whole of humanity or for the planet. And so we're either at or approaching whatever that tipping point is of that number of people. I have seen that too and noticing as I'm getting older the influence that I've had on people that if I didn't meet them they'd be completely different. And that sounds almost stuck up, but this has come no, from... because it's... But you've also seen people shy away from you. Oh, yeah. They're no longer around. (laughs) Yeah, and something that I've really loved accepting is that I'm not for everyone because I'm a very large personality. I'm very intense in a lot of ways. But also being around somebody who is very honest about who they are and wants to get to the root of everything is not something that everybody wants to do because that's a lot of work all the time. (laughs) But one of the I've gotten a few, and these are the best compliments I've ever received, from a few friends in high school that reached out to me, and they both said, I'm a feminist because of you. And these are girls that grew up in very religious households, and are like, I I didn't have anybody in my life that was talking to me like you were when we were 15. And I was like, really? And they're like, yes. And when I'm looking back at our friendship, and these are, I don't really talk to them very much anymore, but we're still friends. These are people that when I first met them, I was like, why do you think that way, you know? But, of course, it's because of religion and parents and everything like that. But knowing that over the years, that 
kind of seed that I planted started to grow and they started to see and understand in a way that benefits them was really cool and kind of empowers me to continue doing that, knowing that the the people that I touch, even if I only know them for a little bit amount of time, I can really, really affect them. Right, so you become more intentional about it. Exactly. Because before you were just being you. I was just being me. (laughs) But think think about the people who have influenced you Mm -hmm. that probably don't even remember you or maybe never remembered you, but there was some connection between you and them, some experience you had, something somebody might have said that changed the way you look at things. Mm-hmm. They're a part of your life, as much a part of your life as anybody who may be close to you because of the impact they had. And I think it's something important for us all to recognize is that we have far greater influence on the, on the lives of people around us right. than we are aware of. And I think if we ask people what do you want out of life? Most people will say, I want to make a difference. Mm-hmm. If you know you already are, that no matter what you do, you're making a difference, I think that helps us. I think that makes us feel like, okay, yeah, I'm accomplishing something, even though it might not look like look like it or feel like it. And I give you an example, and this is also in my book, but at one of my speaking engagements, I was speaking to about 200 people during this one particular event. And after I finished speaking, this woman walked up to me, and I was already talking to a gentleman who was more or less to my left, and I was talking to him, but I saw her walking up on the right-hand side. And so I finished my conversation with him, and when I turned, our eyes met. My eyes met with this lady, and she looked up at me. I was up on the stage still, and she was down on the floor. She said, I heard you speak two years ago, and what you told me saved my daughter's life. And she turned around and walked away. I have no idea who she is. I have no idea what I said. I would have chased her down. God damn. I I couldn't. But in any event, that's when I really realized that, and and the the phrase that I use with that because of the setting, was you never know who's in the audience. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever you're saying, whatever you're feeling, you're impacting everybody around you. And we just, we're not aware of it. Mm -hmm. But yet, we are having an incredible influence on the planet Mm -hmm. as a result of that. You like cats, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you could find a kitten. You could find a kitten, <laughs> like, on the side of the road. Right. And let's say the kitten is dirty and it's just not doing really well, and you bend down and pick it up and you start to take care of it. A kid witnesses you doing that, totally changes their view. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were somebody who didn't really like it, or maybe they didn't really understand, you know, what it would be to take care of another being like that. But you're serving as an example to them of what compassion looks like, of what it feels like, of how we are responsible for other beings on the planet. Not that we're responsible and something's going to happen if we don't do it, but we're responsible in the fact that we can do it if we choose to. And I think most of us would do something like that because you see somebody, somebody, something suffering. Right. And so we do it. So people observe all of that. And this came to me one day when I was actually was sitting at a, at a, at a traffic light. It might even have been in D.C., and a homeless person walked in front of me. So, you know, you could look at that person and you could think, uh, get a job. Mm-hmm. You know, why are you so lazy? Why are you, why don't you go take a shower? Why don't you do this or why don't you do that? Two things come to me. Number one, you bless them for the choice they made to live the life they're living. Because I don't know. I have no clue what put them in that position. It could be choice. It could be circumstances. I think, but then I can look at it and say, Thank you for serving as an example to me of what could potentially be me if I don't do certain things, if I don't live a certain way, if I don't think a certain way. Or you could take the other approach to it and, and you know, be angry, be mean, be nasty, and just say they're a bum or they don't know what they're doing or they're wasting their lives. 
we don't know. Yeah. On the few times that I see internet arguments go well, I would say, one of them has been some of the creators that will take the money that they're making from their platform and give it back to homeless people. So there is this one, I think it was a guy, I'm not sure. I think I've already talked about this in a podcast episode, who brought this woman lunch every day. And she was a, she's a really sweet lady. She just had a horrible life, essentially. And she just could not, you know, like you just can't, she just couldn't get out of it. Yeah. Um, and he would bring her food every day and then use the money to buy her a condo. And now she has a job and is doing well. The comments on that video are mostly like, thank you so much. You're a wonderful person. I'm so glad she's doing well. She's such a sweet lady. And then there's the occasional asshole who's like, well, you're just giving her money and blah, 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 you know? And I've seen a couple times where people will take the time. And I don't think we owe anybody education, especially marginalized people don't owe privileged people education because that's fucking exhausting but at the same time being a person that has the energy and chooses to continue doing that for the good of everyone are the best people I think ever so somebody in that comment section was like listen I work at a bank and the first thing that I ask for when somebody wants to start a checking account is their home address they can't have a bank account without a home address so what do you do if you're homeless the first thing that your employer is going to ask you for is your checking account to deposit your checks and where you live. And you can't get a job if you're homeless, you know? Yeah. So, like, you can't just go out and get a job. And that one time I saw that person go, oh, I've never thought about that. Thank you for telling me. Yeah. And I was like, that was crazy because that never happens. So I think being able to be self-aware enough to <sighs> accept education yeah, it, so it, it always cool. comes down to awareness, and right. that's where the truth is going to come from. Mm-hmm. It's just being aware of when you, being aware of what you believe to be true, you realize it, it is no longer true, and then being open to whatever new information is coming in that would lead you closer and closer to the truth. So think about this. I read one time that most of what we know is not stuff that we've experienced, but something people have told us something somebody else has experienced but then we take it in through our own filters interpreting it in whatever way that we want you could have read it you could have heard it whatever the case may be so what if all of that stuff that we've been told but don't have an experience what if it's not true then we make decisions based on that because then we make we we base our beliefs on our own experience and the information we've been given right to the moment Mm -hmm. so what if all the information we've been given is not true how far from the truth are we? And if the purpose of life, which I believe it is, is a progressive realization of the truth, then we should always be moving towards it. So that's why we have to be really, really discerning mm-hmm. in information we take in, the information we give out, the experiences we have, what we hold on to when evidence shows that what we're holding on to is no longer true, never was true. It doesn't matter. It's not about judging yourself or anybody else. It's just what you believed because of the information you had to that moment. Yeah. But if we can be bold enough to let go of it and just say, yeah, okay, I, I believe that at one point in time, it's no longer true, this is what I believe. And then we allow people to do that mm-hmm. because then we criticize somebody for saying, well, yeah, but you used to say this all the time. How can you be doing this right now? Yeah. Well, that's called evolution. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's called having an experience, getting new information and being able to get to a new point and then be able to move from that point to the next higher point, Mm -hmm. using that as the example of the truth being higher. 
I think that's the one of the best attributes you can have as a person is not having a you know quote unquote weak mind, but being able to from minute to minute have your opinion changed on something based off of somebody else's experiences that are very different from your own. Yeah. And you can, of course, still have your view on life, but when you see how other people have experienced things, that can change drastically how you see how you see your life. Yeah. And I was talking about that in a previous episode, too. Like, I could say something now, and in 30 seconds, somebody else could say something, and it could completely change the way that I view it. Right. And I think that's really important to be like that. But the question is, how dug in are you on your opinion already mm-hmm. that you, anybody, wouldn't admit, okay, what I was thinking, what I was believing, how I was acting, there is a better way, or there is better information, or there is greater truth. We get so dug in on it that we feel like we're either a failure, or we're stupid, or whatever, because of the view we held. And we don't give ourselves permission to move into that that higher truth or that greater understanding of what's happening, and that's the struggle I think that so many of us have. I've, let me give you let me give you an example. Okay. This was I don't know if you've ever read the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. It was a book written in the probably late seventies, early eighties. Mm-hmm. He he talks about how and it's about perspective and and how we respond to situations. But he was talking about how he was on a bus. And he, while he was on the bus, there was a gentleman sitting next to him that was sitting kind of quietly who had three kids. And the three kids were making a whole lot of noise running around on the bus, not behaving in the way that you would want somebody to behave or kids to behave when you're sitting on the bus. And so Dr. Covey said he was getting really agitated about, you know, what, you know, thinking to himself, why can't you control your kids? I mean, this is ridiculous. There's other people around here. You're letting them run around. There's yelling and screaming. You're just sitting there. So somehow, some way, they, they engage in a conversation. And the gentleman said, talking about his children, he said, I'm sorry for the way they're acting. Their mother just passed away. Oh, God. So how does that change your perspective now? Right. You're calling this guy an asshole, basically. Why do you let your kids do that? Because you didn't have the information. You didn't really know why they were acting the way that they were or why he was not responding. He lost his wife. So now we get that new information in there, and then you have compassion. You understand. You, you think, well, my God, I'd probably be doing the same thing. I don't even know how he's on, you know, how he's handling it the way that he is. So it's totally different. And that's why we always have to ask the question. We can say, I wonder what they're going through. Or just make the statement, I don't know what they're going through. Therefore, I have no right or any, any real true means of judging what's happening. I have yeah. no clue. I've struggled with being able to give people the benefit of the doubt versus being stomped all over, you know. And I think the line between that would be intentions. So if somebody has a very different opinion than me, they're coming from a, I'm talking at you instead of I'm talking with you, yeah. is going to be a very different, I'm going to get something very different than somebody who, who has an intention of helping me understand. Yeah. And that's hard. An interesting response to that is when somebody is attacking or, or trying to give their opinion in a very aggressive, very attacking way. The tendency, I think, for most people would to become defensive. Mm -hmm. And so we get really dug in on our perspective. But you just look at it and you go, that's really interesting. That's it. Yeah. You just don't say anything. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Or, wow, that's interesting. Why do you feel that way? Mm -hmm. And just, you put it back on them. And then we don't get sucked into the drama or the energy that they're trying to throw at us because they're just trying to engage us yeah. in, in a dramatic, 
dance. The discussions that I had growing up, because I was 16 when Trump was elected, we kind of had a choice there to respond with hate, and then you have the, you know, hate breeds hate problem, which is still a problem, of course, or be able to, even when you're 16 years old, be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> exactly. Like, are you kidding me? But I need to understand this so that I can help them, you know? And there was a man we were speaking to outside of the Trump rally who was very pro build the wall because his son had died from drugs that were brought over the border that yeah. he overdosed on. And that's a completely different yeah. view than what most people think these conservatives fold filled with fear you know we think that they're they're full of anger and fear because they're just racist and you know right. whatever if, if if anybody would just think about it rationally even though it appears and sounds like it's irrational mm-hmm. i think i think we have to give consideration to the fact that it wouldn't make sense that somebody goes through a horrendous life and that's it what would the purpose be well i think the argument that most people have is that there is none and that's that and there is none what? there's no purpose to anything which I like in some ways because then you have complete control and you're like well then I can choose whatever purpose I want out of this right. also then that's a very pessimistic I think view of looking at the world but a lot of people find power in that as well thinking that there is no purpose so do whatever you want yeah it's also a reason for taking advantage of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But my view on that would be that, given the example we did before of a child, if a child is born, gets sick, and dies relatively sh- short, how, how is that right? How is that just? What, what, would make, what would make sense for that to happen? Why would that soul that was incarnated as that child, why would that be the extent of its life? And I also don't think that, and then, and then we have people who live lives of grandeur their whole life. They're born with a silver spoon in their mouth. They're born into extreme wealth. They have everything they could possibly want. Well, what's that about? Why, why them, not you, mm-hmm. right? And so the question to me always is, well, I, it can't be that way. I think we all have the opportunity to have every life experience possible. We're gonna have a life of grandeur. We're gonna have a life of homelessness. We're gonna have a life of whatever different circumstances there are as long as it benefits what our soul is looking to experience or is in need of to further expand its, its uh, awareness of itself. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the easiest way to do it. The other thing is, if you want to get into quantum physics and you look at the fact that everything is energy, that energy cannot be destroyed. It cannot be destroyed. Right. It's going to have to take another shape. So if we're energy, we're not going to be destroyed. Yeah, exactly. And that's we're the going way to come back the, in a different form that I see it is there has to be something yeah. beyond just the shared energy. But I, I don't I don't believe we come back as a bug or a or a dog or <laughs> or anything like that. I just don't. Really? Yeah, because I, I think that the energy that we are is is and maybe this is incorrect, but it would appear to me to be a higher level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So that when we're choosing to come back to do whatever we're here to do, that that's a part of that whole process. So have you learned about the communication networks in trees? Yeah. So I think we as humans... Have you ever gone and hugged a tree and you feel the energy? Oh, yeah. But I mean the... The, the fact they talk to each other. The fact that they talk to each other through the mycorrhizal networks underground. 
and they can feed each other and water each other. And that is fucking insane. And that was only discovered, started to be discovered like 25 years ago, like really in depth. But wasn't part of that in Braiding Sweetgrass? Didn't she talk about that? Yeah. Okay. That's a newer, yeah, I think she did. newer book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'm reading the book um, Finding the Mother Tree by Suzanne Samard, who is one of the, the most influential scientists in discovering um, that community. So she gets network. into that. It's the whole book. Okay. There's just so much about these other creatures that we don't possibly understand that I, I can't imagine that I was in a tree at one point, you know? Because that type of connection that I have with the planet is not something that I think I just showed up with. All right, so what if, what if prior to becoming the evolved human, mm-hmm. you were a tree? I don't think it's going to go from here to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Well, I think with being, you know, an an evolved person, a human. I would say evolving, not evolved. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Our evolutionary path is so different than, like, a trace. And the separation, I think, that humans feel as we, I guess, evolve is very drastic, whereas I think trees and plants and the you know natural world comes closer with evolution symbiotic creatures and also some there's a type of fungus that actually grows on a birch tree and it only grows on a birch tree and it used to be able to grow on other trees but once it grew on that birch tree it was like this works really well and now it can't grow without that and biologically humans can you know we can't exist without other people. It would really suck, but like we can. So I think that maybe we all used to be a tree or something. I don't know. Well, a tree is a tree. Uh-huh. A tree can't uproot itself and become something else. Mm-hmm. I guess the question would be, and I don't, I don't think a tree is, but I don't believe a tree is self-aware. It's not sitting there going, I'm a tree. Aren't I a beautiful tree? I'm the best tree in the forest. My roots are bigger than your roots. But they do. But I don't think I don't think they have that sense of self-awareness. They may have a sense of where they are within the forest or in relation to other trees, mm-hmm. but they're not sitting there making judgments about themselves versus another tree. And I think they just are. Right. We could argue about this may, all day. I mean, yeah, it's I not think an I just like a conversation. I like thinking about every living thing has a soul in some way. Okay, I would agree with that. And how did you phrase it? Well, self-awareness. Self-awareness. But, I mean, I guess that depends on what your definition of self-awareness is because I think some trees are more self-aware than some people. But, like, they... No, it's being aware that you exist, being aware of who you are in relation to others, being being aware of the fact that you can make different decisions to do what you want to do. You don't have to stand in one place stuck to the ground. We can move around. We can do a lot of different things. We can choose to do or not to do something. So what about the fact that they will send food to their smaller trees because they know that when they fall, the other trees will need to fill the canopy to maintain the life cycle. Right. Like, they just know that. Right. I think that's self-awareness. A word for you to look up is entelechy. Entelechy? I think E-N-T... E-N-T-L-C-H-Y, and it is a word that was 
I, where I heard it from is either Socrates or Plato or one of those mm -hmm. one of those people, and it means the innate knowing within an organism of what it is, and that everything that it is is contained within the organism. So when you look at an acorn, the acorn innately knows it's an oak tree, which is why it grows to be an oak tree. Mm -hmm. It already knows. Yeah. Somebody doesn't have to say, okay, acorn, go be an oak tree. It already knows that. I would also say that that same philosophy applies to us. We do know what we're intended to be. We just muck it up. We make all these decisions <laughs> yeah. because we don't think we're worthy of it. We mm -hmm. don't feel that, that we are capable of it. I mean, all these different limiting thoughts and beliefs come in because of how we're brought up. Our parents say, that's stupid, you can't do that. Kind of a, kind of a funny story is that Picasso's mother wanted him to be a lawyer, either a lawyer or a doctor. He said, no, Mom, I'm not going to be that, and he grew up to be Picasso, right? So mm -hmm. had he been a doctor or a lawyer, we wouldn't have what Picasso brought to the world. Mm -hmm. So he innately knew within him what it was he was intended to be, and he went after what he loved to do. And I think that's in all of us, but we get in the way. We're told, you have to do this, you have to make money, you have to live this certain way. You have to do all these things because society demands that of us. Mm -hmm. Well, society doesn't demand anything of anybody but we feel the need to do that to conform, or we're gonna be looked at as being an outsider. But yet, look at all the brilliant people on the planet that have decided to go their own way, or in the way they felt it was supposed to be, who become incredible. Here's another crazy example that you'll relate to. You've got all of these different musicians mm -hmm. that have, they're, they're all tatted up, they're all pierced, they're all this, I guarantee you their parents hated the fact that they were doing that. Until they signed a multi-million dollar contract. Yeah. <laughs> right. Seriously. Yeah. So it's, it's that kind of, you know, it's that kind of thing where the person who does that does it because it's just innately who they are. Mm -hmm. Now maybe there's some rebellion in there and all of that, but certainly it's generational and just different things. But it's still, once we become what we're really passionate about, which would be a musician in that case, you know, everybody says you can't do that until you do it, and then everybody wants a piece of you, you know, once you've made it. I'm really thankful for the support that I've gotten from my family, and I think a big part of that is the fact that my my mom also felt like an outsider within yeah. her family in a lot of ways, and was also the middle child, you know, so, so being able to... Was she the only girl, her oldest girl, or...? No, she's... So, just the middle older child. sister, she's in the middle, and then, and then Belle. Where, okay, so you're a life coach and a broker, and those often cross over a lot. Most of the discussions we have are not about my direct business, but more about everything that goes into that. Right. Where do you see your clients and your agents and your friends have the most difficulty um, finding their ultimate truth or applying that to their lives? You know how there's this thing in the world right now called identity theft? Yeah. We ourselves are the greatest perpetrators of identity theft because mm -hmm. we deny ourselves the truth of who we are. All of those things that we think about on a spiritual level manifest in the real world. We're seeing identity theft all over the place. And yet we refuse to identify with the truth of who we are. We refuse to recognize who we are. Imposter syndrome. Imposter yeah. syndrome to a huge extent, mm -hmm. which I, I will admit that I go through that from time to time because all of a sudden something will happen. And, and when it happens, and usually it's something really good, 
it feels like you didn't do anything to get there. It's just like all of a sudden you're there and yeah. it happens. And that's what happens to CEOs of companies that are being put in charge of these humongous companies. And it's lonely because they're the ones sitting at the top and they're sitting, holy shit. You know, what did I, how did I get here? How, how am I going to make these decisions? And I've been told that, that the ones that, that are willing to make the decision, whether it's right or wrong, are the ones that keep getting the multi-million dollar contracts from one company to the next because they have that, the courage to make that decision. Yeah. But they still question. Analysis paralysis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, getting into that, I think that's true. But I, I think that that's the hardest thing for all of us to recognize is, number one, who we are because we look in the mirror and we see a physical body and then we say, okay, that's who I am. If you don't like the way your physical body looks, you don't like you. And you are not the physical body. You are that entity that resides within the physical body. You're, you, you are that which is looking out of the eyes at the reflection in the mirror, thinking about what you're looking at in the mirror, whether or not you like it or don't like it. You're the universe experiencing itself, you are. which yep. is one of my favorites. Yep. Yeah. Well, the universe, God, spirit, experiences and expresses itself through us and as us mm -hmm. because it is all of the same source. So the physical body is a part of that. The entity that is that is expressing through it is also that same energy source. So it's all of the one. So it's just the universe experiencing and expressing as and in, or as and through. I think that definitely helps with self-love and self-acceptance, knowing that you are you are nature and you are you are of this world because you are this world i mean definitely for me it makes me feel connected and confident and happy what's interesting most people will say when they're feeling down that they'll take a walk in nature yeah. so it's just a matter of connecting with the free energy that's there and seeing birds or seeing a fox or seeing a rabbit or oh, you'll appreciate this if people if people saw me they would think i was nuts <laughs> this morning it was, I think it was about, it was probably six o'clock. It was mm -hmm. still dark out. And so I was walking down this path near my house to go to where I work out. We have a clubhouse. And I walked past it, and about this far from my foot was a rabbit, just tiny rabbit. And he didn't move. He just sat there. So I started talking to it. <laughs> and I would have loved to see no, that. No, I'm serious. Yeah. I'm telling it to have a good day and how yeah. you know, it was great to see it. And I mean, just that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I went in and worked out. I did that exact thing with a... Um, bunch of moss last night. Yeah. <laughs> I was out walking in the woods and I was in a great mood yesterday. I was just skipping around like like a little kid to be completely honest. And I was out looking for mushrooms to um, collect and I found this gorgeous patch of moss and it had been um, kind of turned like a reddish pink on the tips from the yeah. sun and from the cold. And I was completely hunched over on the ground talking to the moss with my little lens. And I was like, you're just so pretty. <laughs> and I was like, if somebody walked by right now, yeah, yeah they would think I was insane because I was talking to this moss yeah. hunched over like a little gremlin. But for me, seeing the beauty in the small little, this, you know, little thing on the ground and given, getting the privilege to have the technology to look at it up yeah. close like that. It's so cool, and having that connection with the things around you is so important to mental health and belonging and everything that goes into 
yeah. growing. Yeah, we miss most of the beauty in the world because we're not paying attention. Yeah. And it just comes back to awareness. Yeah. Just pay attention. Just really looking. Okay, well, I think that's a good close to everything. Okay. We could just keep going on and on. So here's, here's a good quote as okay. a close. We are at first aware that awareness itself. Say it again. We are at first aware and then awareness itself. Alrighty, well, thank you so much for coming. If anybody would like to read Jen's book, The Key to Life. Should I show it to the adoring to the audience? <laughs> and where can, where can we find that? They can get it on my website, livinginfullexpression.com. Okay. Or awesome. they can connect with you and then yeah, you can ask me. Yeah, then I'll send them an, an autographed yeah. book. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. I feel like I've just learned so much. I'm going to be up for the next four nights thinking yeah. about that. <laughs> no, my pleasure. I love having the conversations. Yeah, great. And it's, it's even more back. interesting and intriguing when it's someone as young as you. Good, that, that's the whole point. That has the open mind and the desire to truly understand things differently. Thank Not you. just believe what you see and what you hear and what mm -hmm. people tell you, but to actually search it out well, thank you very for yourself. Much. It's yeah. pretty cool. I hope to have you back. Yes, I'm going to be doing this for a while. So yes, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Riley.Bloomer. Um, and if you want to give me any advice or um, have any questions or anything like that, you can email me at this podcast at um, thebirdhouse2023 at gmail.com. So thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Take care.